Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. Lucas and I are back, our second podcast of the month of March. Lucas, spring is in the air, my friend. We are talking spring football. Basically, every program in the country is is underway uh, at their various times for spring. Some are a little bit more uh, further along. Some are just starting. Uh, it's a fun time for college football as we, we kind of look uh, forward to 2023. We're going to get into that now uh, here on the pod. But first, my friend, uh, how are you doing? How's life in the old uh, great city of Nashville? It's 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 going pretty, pretty well. I wish my betting on the NCAA tournament uh, yep. was going as well. But it unfortunately, you win some, you lose some, as we learned on this pod, betting on college football last year. Yeah. Um, but oh, <laughs> otherwise, it's pretty good. Spring is in the air. Uh yep. Uh, it's been beautiful here the last few weeks weather-wise, and it's gotten me excited um, for the summer and eventually the fall. Yeah, Lucas and I are going to, I, I think, unofficially turn our attention to 2023. The last couple shows have been some prime off-season content, nerd college football, scheduling in the SEC, scheduling in the Big Ten. We encourage everyone to go back and listen to some of those shows. Our Big Ten episode is our most listened to show ever. Um, Certainly there's some interest in who Indiana's three permanent crossover opponents are going to be and who do you give Penn State. So uh, we encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say, it is funny you mentioned Indiana. I did have a buddy of mine who's an IU grad like text me about the pod recently, and he's like (laughs) – He's like, I thought you were trying to give us three winnable like games, and I was like, "You're Indiana. We tried. Like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, dude. For so. for for some of these teams, like if you're Vanderbilt, you're like, all right, we can give you South Carolina. You're still going to be like a seven point underdog <laughs> at home. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Um, Lucas and I are going to talk some spring football storylines across the country, and we are going to draft spring storylines. We flipped a coin. Uh, virtually before we pressed record i won the coin toss i will have the first pick we'll just kind of go back and forth uh i will draft uh, a prominent spring storyline and then lucas and i'll have a conversation mm-hmm. he will draft a storyline of his choosing and then we'll have a conversation as well uh lucas i had the first pick and i i'm going to go with a a really prominent quarterback battle uh, featuring two of the former number one overall prospects in the country uh, at a a really traditional blue blood program, give me Quinn Ewers versus Arch Manning. Steve Sarkeesian came out in the spring and said it is a it is a quarterback competition between Ewers, who was the uh, the number one quarterback in the class of twenty twenty two after reclassifying, uh, and then Arch Manning, the most recent number one overall player. Obviously, very famous last name comes from the Manning family, the nephew of Eli and Peyton. If you haven't heard the name Arch Manning, just get ready. It's it's, it's coming. Um, Lucas, I find this battle fascinating on multiple levels. Um, I think in a perfect world, Arch would come in, sit for a year. Ewers would, would be almost kind of like what Drake May was, where he, mm-hmm. he shines one year and then the second year shines and then leaves for the NFL and is a top five, top ten pick. I don't know if we got that in 2022 from Quinn Ewers. I think certainly had some flashes, um, but also showed why he, I mean, he was a bit of a, of a, of a raw player, right? I think he, he, he was a guy that um, wasn't the, the, the plug and play true freshman quarterback that we have seen. So 
I find it interesting. This is a big year for Steve Sarkeesian. It's year three. They won eight games last year after missing a bowl game the year before. Um, this is your last season in the Big 12. It's a wide-open Big 12. Oklahoma won six games last year. I might get to them here a little bit later. Um, this is a big year for Texas. And to go into a to go into a spring with a high-profile quarterback battle, not only a high-profile in the sense of you're at a big program, but like, I mean, Arch Manning is already a bona fide celebrity, right? That is the most – he is, even though I think Quinn Ewers was rated as a, as a higher prospect by 247, like Arch Manning carries the name. Um, yes. Everything Arch does, every th- if every interception Quinn Ewers throws, every poor game, every loss is going to be scrutinized. And I'm fascinated to see how Steve Sarkeesian and Texas handle that kind of uh, spotlight. No, I think you bring up a good point. The fact that everything's to be magnified. Arch Manning could not take a single snap this year and might be still the fifth most talked about quarterback in college football. Uh, because like you mentioned, it, every mistake that Quinn years makes, you know, he's going to have somebody looking right over his right shoulder. Yeah. And you compound it with the fact that not only is it a big year for Quinn Ewers, but a massive year for Cesar Sarkeesian. They have to have a good year before they need some momentum before they go into the sec in 2024. And we're going to get a good glimpse early. I mean, they get they have to go to Tuscaloosa the second week of the season. Um, I do know they return a couple of you know their former you know wide receivers from last year. I believe Jordan Whittington was their second leading receiver um, who could have probably gone to the NFL, decided to come back uh, for another year. But they got to replace you know is Bijan gone this year? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Bijan and is Roshan as well. Correct. Roshan Johnson. Yep, Roshan Johnson. So, both, their, both the top two running backs are gone. I believe Xavier Worthy is back. back um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge hole to fill losing mm-hmm. B. John Robinson. Yeah, because they there were t- there were games last year where Quinn Ears wasn't playing great, where B. John Robinson had to largely carry uh, them moving forward. So, yeah, it's a huge year just for the Texas program. And, of course, like, I think it, that's just kind of a microcosm of – just what Texas has been over the last decade. We can name so many players, good players on their roster, but it always seems like they get in their own way. Um, and so I, I think it's, I think it's going to be crazy. I think the spring game, whether I, I'm sure it's going to be on Longhorn network where nobody can watch it, but <laughs> um, would be, I, I'm sure it's going to be one of the more watched like highlights on like YouTube and things like that, just to see, I think people just want to see what Arch Manning looks like. He, hasn't even taken a college snap and just has this aura about him because of the name and just the way his recruitment went. It was really, really close to the vest. No one kind of knew where he was going. Um, and he's at maybe one of the most marquee programs in college football. So I'm super excited for it. If you had to put, let's, I'm going to give you a early over under. Yeah. Two and a half games. Or no, I'll give you not an over and under. Does Arch Manning burn his red shirt at some point yeah, this year? Yes. I believe this is going if if I had to predict right now, I, I, I see it going like Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler in, in twenty twenty one Oklahoma. Uh where Spencer Rattler is is playing okay, maybe gets benched in the second half of a game. Arch Manning has a really good half. Maybe it's like the 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 Big Twelve opener. Um and then Arch doesn't, or Arch doesn't look back, 
and and Ewers ends up either testing the NFL draft waters or transferring to another really good school. Um, yeah, we have seen number one quarterbacks like flame out. Like Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler's had has a, has a, had an okay career, but like not a traditional number one overall. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, kind of like hyped recruit level career. It happens. Uh, Ewers has just had a very strange career already. You know, he graduated a year early because of NIL opportunities, enrolled at Ohio State, didn't play, transfers to Texas, wins the job last year. And, like, you know, you look at the numbers, he threw for 2,177 yards, completion percentage of 58%, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions, um, missed basically a month of the season from uh, September 9th, uh, but just until the uh, the Red River game. Um, But... You know, you look at his last game against Washington in the Alamo Bowl. Granted, it was a loss, 21 of 47, 369 yards, and a touchdown. So, um, but again, I, with this exercise, like, I I just, I could see the blueprint already of, like, yours. Maybe Texas is, like, 3-2. and They lose a Big 12 game early. They're not supposed to. And Mm -hmm. Sarkeesian feels the pressure and turns to Arch Manning. It, so you mentioned they lose a big 12 game early. This is what watch, watch this happen. So they get rice. They'll win that game easily. Let's say they go to Alabama. They lose like 31, 28. Yeah. Ewers looks, looks really, really good. But then they look iffy and a letdown against Wyoming, but they still win. Then they win on the road at Baylor, but close. But then. They get the team that has been a little bit of a bugaboo. It's been kind of a joke. They killed them last year, but a bugaboo. They lose on the road at Kansas. Oh, man. And Kansas isn't, like, bad anymore. Like, Kansas is deep. They are no longer that – you can't just check them as a win every year. But then the next week after that is Red River. Do we see a reverse like we did with, like, two years ago, like you mentioned? Rattler. With Rattler and them, do we see it on that side with Texas – or maybe he throws a pick early, they get down, and then all of a sudden Arch Manning comes in. I'm, I'm already envisioning it's noon Eastern on ABC, and they're just showing it's like the second quarter. Oklahoma's up like 21 to three, and they're just yeah. showing Arch on the sideline, like, you know, warming up. Holly Rose, like, Quinn Ewers isn't injured. Arch is just getting ready. He's throwing. Like, I can already see it, Lucas. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. We're going to get the sideline image of Quinn with just the, the headset on on the and sideline with his with his helmet in his hand, like, just ready yeah. to, to get Arms back crossed, in. just, like, frustrated, you know, says all the right things post-game and then leaves <laughs> the team in November or whatever. <laughs> or, or Quinn Ewers absolutely lights it up and they beat Alabama. Yes. Yeah. And they go eleven and one, and and Ewers propels himself into the Drake May Caleb Williams conversation for the twenty twenty four draft. Like that is the range here, right? Because Ewers, yeah. again, like for the people that don't know, Ewers is was rated out of high school better than basically all of these quarterbacks. And mm-hmm. I'm not a huge proponent of like stars, and but like he was rated like that for a reason. He's had yeah. a bumpy road his first two seasons in college, but. The talent is there. The arm is there. The arm talent's there. They probably beat Alabama last year if he doesn't get injured. Um, so I, uh, it, it's it's fascinating to me because of the program, Texas. Steve Sarkeesian in year three, if it goes bad, like what if they go six and six? Mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian make it to 2024 into the SEC. Who knows? It's it's 
there are a lot of high-profile quarterback competitions this offseason. I'm sure we'll talk about them along the course of the pod. To me, Texas is number one because of all of these storylines that go mm-hmm. into it. Yeah, and it's a battle between, I think, two legit quarterbacks. Though, I do question if, let's say, Ewers does lose the job. He's already transferred once. I know they're putting in new transfer rules. I don't know if they're in effect yet, but isn't it now, unless you're a grad student, you can't transfer Yeah, more I mean, than once without starting the year? You're you're not supposed to be able to. Now, they grant waivers all the time. Yeah. Um, Ewers would have completed three college years essentially one at Ohio State two at Texas so who knows like maybe he uh has a degree I don't know um but it would not surprise me to see Ewers playing 2024 uh somewhere else yeah hey all right your first pick oh okay so I'm staying in the state of Texas with probably our favorite program I say that sarcastically um but I am interested to see it kind of there. I am looking at what is Bobby Petrino as the OC going to look like at Texas A&M. Uh, Jimbo had a presser this past week. It was his first one since they introduced Bobby Petrino as their offensive coordinator. And man, oh man, could it not have gone really much worse? Um, people were just asking him simple questions. You know, why did you hire him? What What's the offense going to look like? And all Jimbo just sat on was, hey, we're just going to practice the fundamentals. Fundamentals and execution. Everybody runs the same stuff. It doesn't really matter. Okay, then why'd you, why'd you hire him? They even asked who's going to be calling the plays. He could not answer that. And I bring this up because, look, Jimbo, much like Texas Chief Sarkeesian, it, it, the, the seat might be a bit hotter down in College Station. And I think it's the big $76 million question this year is what is this offense going to look like? They were absolutely awful last year. They ranked 101st in total offense. I believe they only scored over 25 points against one power five opponent all year. And you're bringing in a guy like Bobby Petrino, who, you know, has done great things where he has been. He has also left dumpster fires at just about everywhere where he's been too. And to me personally, Bobby Petrino, just his personality wise, does not seem like someone who is going to get in his way. Like if he's coming here, he's going to call the offense he went the way he wants it and everything like that. And I think if that works out just on the field, I think it could be pretty good. I just don't know how that dynamic would work. And I think it is a very risky hire for a guy like Jimbo Fisher to make. He knew he had to make a decision at the offensive coordinator position after the disaster that was last season. Um, But they do have pieces. I mean, I think Connor Wegman showed towards the end of last season, former five-star recruit, uh, why he earned that rating. I think he showed a lot for being a true freshman. Um, They do bring back a couple of their leading receivers from last year, even brought in UTEP transfer Tyron Smith, who had over a thousand yards. But to me, it's like, okay, well, what, if it does work, what are the realistic expectations for this? Yeah. And if it goes awry, like if their offense isn't improved in the first three or four weeks, what the hell is that going to look like too? Yeah. I was really hoping this was going to get back to me. This was going to be my third pick. Uh, <laughs> to me, you mentioned the hot seat. It's the hottest seat in college football. I mean, yeah. I don't know. 
I understand it's a $76 million question. I think in, in reality, like the f- Texas A&M fan base, the alumni base, the boosters, you're, you're, you're just not going to take another season like you had last, last year. No, um, there's no way. Um, I do think if, if they go five and seven, six and six, even seven and five, he's, he's probably fired. There is enough money down there. There's enough money in the SEC. They will, they will basically say it will cost us more money if we don't fire him because of the lack of enthusiasm, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, it's the hottest. I mean, there, there's so many storylines, right? You have one of the most least – you have one of the least likable coaching staffs in America with Bobby Petrino, DJ Durkin, Steve Adazio, Jimbo Fisher. I mean, it's just r- ridiculously unlikable. You have one of the most toxic locker room atmospheres from last season. Jimbo trying to kind of revive this program um, coaching for his job. I mean, no doubt about it. Now, no one's going to feel sorry for Jimbo if he gets paid 70 something million dollars to go away and not coach. Right. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll get to another SEC West team here next, but like the SEC West as a division. It's just fascinating. And, and where is A&M's place in that division? It's gettable. I think it's going to be very competitive this year with Alabama and LSU, but like, Connor Wagnum is a former five-star quarterback. Like, obviously, we know, even though a lot of this 2022 number one overall class transferred, I think eight or nine guys left, so like a third of the class. Like, you still have a lot of talented players. The defensive line's awesome. Evan Stewart's awesome. They're pretty deep at running back, despite losing um, Devon Achne to the draft. Um, You have, you know, Connor Wagnum and Max Johnson back, so there's depth at quarterback. Like, this team, like, the floor should be third for next year in the SEC West. You should be better than Ole Miss. You should be better than Auburn. You should be better than Mississippi State. You should be better than Arkansas. Like, the floor should be third. Um, and you lost to a lot of those teams last year. So, I, it to me, it's it's like there are so many – there are so many ways this could go wrong, and there are so many intriguing storylines of, like, what does the offense look like? What does the locker room look like? You know, if you look at the schedule for A&M, they open against New Mexico – at Miami week two, they start. I mean, the, the, the schedule is, is pretty favorable, right? It's New Mexico mm-hmm. at Miami. And, and I was going to get to Miami. Like they're a team on my list as well. Um, you have Louisiana Monroe after Miami. Then you open the SEC uh, play with Auburn and Arkansas at home and Alabama at home. You know, you only play four. you know, your four SEC road games are Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, um, and I'm missing one. That's okay. Um, Tennessee, Tennessee. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like the schedule is set up for you to be undefeated when you play Alabama. Um, you know, it just is. And is. what are you going to be? You're going to be three and two. You're going to lose to Auburn or you're going to lose to Arkansas. Like I, I just, it's, it's fascinating to me. So I'm glad you brought them up because they were definitely, they would have been my next pick. Yeah, no, it's, I think, as they were last year, um, kind of because of all the off the field stuff that Jimbo raised with with Nick Saban, we were all circling down A&M as a a potential team. I mean, we're going to learn a lot. That A&M-Miami game, we're going to learn a lot about either one of those two teams because they had very similar seasons last year, even though A&M beat Miami, both finished five and seven. Had head coaches that had a lot of hype coming into last year, and they fell short of expectations. So that's going to be a game week two. I'm looking at, but yeah, A and M and just that whole dynamic there is is just so so compelling. Yeah. Um, 
All right. What was your next pick? Real quick on A and M, what tripped me up looking at their schedule? The Arkansas game is always in Dallas, and it's Dallas, a yes. it's it's a it's a road game this year for A and M. So they only have three true SEC road games: Ole Miss, LSU, and Tennessee. So just to wrap up A and M, the schedule sets hey, up very favorable. And they don't sleep on that late that late season matchup against Albion Christian. Just saying, it's me tough. Boy, I tell you what the. Uh, you had a conference for uh, Texas A&M there, besides Miami, New Mexico, UL Monroe, and Abilene Christian. Oof. Tough. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to talk about Alabama here as a program that is is it's, – it's, it's been an interesting offseason for Nick Saban. You have two new coordinators. Tommy Reese uh, comes over as the offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien takes the, the OC job with the New England Patriots. Um, they basically tell Golding to go to Ole Miss and say that, which is kind of interesting. Um, you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback to replace. You have a star defensive end to replace. Both are likely to be top five quarterback, uh, top five draft picks. And you know you have a team that lost to Georgia in in twenty twenty one, and a team that did not make the college football playoff, did not win its division in twenty twenty two. Um, and 2022 was kind of the year that you were set up. I mean, I know you lost some really good wide receivers, but like you had Bryce Young coming off a of Heisman coming back. You had Will Anderson coming back. Like you had some familiarity in the offense. They got Jameer Gibbs from, from like Georgia tech, who was awesome last year for them. They lose to LSU on the road. They go 10 and two in the regular season. They don't win the, uh, they, they, uh, they don't win the sec West. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow versus Ty Simpson, essentially for the quarterback battle there. Also have a couple true freshmen, Eli Holstein from Louisiana as well, but likely going to be Ty Simpson, former five-star in the class of 20 to one or Jalen Milrow, who got some run last year, um, five touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, completion percentage under 60%. Uh, remember that kind of that crazy game against Arkansas. He came in when, you know, Bryce Young got injured. So, mm-hmm. I look at Alabama and I look at the SEC West and I'm like, this division is is so intriguing, right? You have Auburn with a new coach. You have Arkansas with kind of a down year in 2022. Kind of some weird stuff going on in that program. Barry Odom gone. Kendall Bryles gone. Like, they're replacing two new coordinators as well. LSU, the defending division champions, like, seemingly in a really good spot for 2023 mm-hmm. with Jane Daniels coming back and a lot of the offensive line coming back and, and Mason Smith coming back off an injury. So I very broad for this one, maybe too broad, but I just think Alabama, their place and their kind of their place in the sec West. That's really intriguing uh, this spring. I think it's just intriguing in the fact that in Saban's tenure there, they really have not had back to back down years. Yeah. One, it's crazy that 11-2 and in a Sugar Bowl win is a down year for them, but it was. I mean, like you mentioned, the season was completely set up for them to run success. They were originally, I think, my favorite to win uh, and a lot of people's favorite to be the national champs last year, and it just didn't work out. And now you have a lot of questions. And to me, if they have another down year where they – and like I said, a down year for them, if they lose – two games where they don't win the SEC West, I think that's when the questions can start to arise about, okay, is you know, maybe Saban's not lost his ability to coach, but is he losing his grip 
not just on the SEC, but on college football in general. I mean, this is a team that has not missed the playoff in consecutive years either. Um, so are, do they start to fall down maybe a peg? And do we get more questions about the program as a whole? And that's why I find it incredibly fascinating. And, you know, we talked about their their hires. They brought back Kevin Steele, a long, who has been a long time saving assistant, has had a lot of success. Uh, did not have a great year last year, though, at Miami. And then you also brought in Tommy Reese, who kind of had a mixed record at Notre Dame. Notre Dame fans weren't exactly distraught when he decided to leave. So I think coming into that, um, you know, I think it it is a really, really interesting year. And you mentioned whoever's going to be the quarterback is going to have a lot on. I think, you know, Jalen Monroe played a little bit. He played a lot in that A&M game that Bryce Young was hurt too. And, you know, they didn't really do much. He only threw for like 112 yards in there, can run, but uh, maybe he improves. But yeah, there's, for the first time, there's a, a lot of question marks. You know, how do you replace Will Anderson? Um, you know, Alabama's been, always been able to do this, but this year I think there are some questions on whether or not they can. Tommy Reese, the hiring is so fascinating. He's like 31, 32. Yeah. Like you said, Notre Dame fans, not necessarily sad to see him go. And it's a it's a hire that Saban hasn't made, right? Like he hired Bill O'Brien, former Houston Texans and Penn State head coach. Before that, it was Steve Sarkeesian former USC and Washington head coach before that it was Lane Kiffin, former USC and Tennessee head coach. Like we had joke about kind of the school for recovering coaches, essentially to kind of come in, build your rep up Mm -hmm. and then go out and get a, you know, a big time job in the NFL or the, you know, in, or somewhere else in college football. I mean, Tommy Reese is a young guy. It's a huge opportunity for him. You're going to have one of the best rosters in the league. Um, they need to find some weapons though, right? You lose Jameer Gibbs. They struggled at wide receiver last year. They've struggled to replace the guys like, you know, Jerry, Jerry Judy and Jamison Williams and all of their stud receivers they've put in the NFL the last couple of years. They didn't have that, right? Jermaine Burton wasn't, you know, the answer for them. They had brought in a couple transfers last year. They just weren't great. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see here real quick on Alabama open against middle Tennessee state, Texas week two, they have a weird game at South Florida week three, uh, sec crossovers are Tennessee at home and at Kentucky sec road games are, uh, at Mississippi state, A&M, Kentucky and Auburn. So, um, interesting situation for, uh, for Alabama. We'll, we'll see where they're at and the rest of the SEC West in 2023. Uh, you're up. Your second pick. My second pick. Oh, man. So I'm going with – so a couple of these teams we've talked about, like with A&M, with Alabama, kind of some question marks. And is this the, their year for kind of like redemption? I'm ta- I, team I'm going to bring up is one that I think is kind of on the rise, was kind of on the brink a year or two ago. We were kind of questioning what direction they were going in. But I think this could be a really, really big year for them. And that I'm going up to the Big Ten, and I'm talking about Penn State. Um, I'm really, really excited to see what Drew Alar and the hype is around him. Former five-star recruit. Look, they lost Sean Clifford, like a 10-year starter for them. Uh, God, it's going to be so weird to not see Sean Clifford under center. Golly. But I do think that Drew Alar potentially could be an up, a big upgrade for them yes. at the quarterback position. They finally have some coordinator stability. Uh, Mike Yersich is now in his third year. They showed great improvement last year, especially in the run game. They went from 
13th in the Big Ten in rushing in 2021 to fourth last year. And that was with two true freshmen with Nicholas Singleton um, and Creighton, Creighton Allen, both combined for over 1,800 yards on the ground last year. This might be, you know, reading, this might be their best offensive line that they've had since James Franklin has been there. You know, they have a potential first-round draft pick at tackle and Olu Fashanu. Uh, they do got to replace some wide receivers, but really, really like what they're doing on there. They've recruited extremely well the last you know, four to five years. They've had multiple top 10 classes. And I think this is a year, you know, look, Michigan is probably going to be the favorite, but you get them at home. Ohio State has a new quarterback, so we're not sure what they're going to look like. You could potentially get them. I think the piece are in place, because also defensively, they were really good last year under Manny Diaz, and it was just his, his first year there. Now they've got another year in the system. They returned both their leading sack rushers, both of which were also freshmen. They were an extremely young team last year, um, even though they do lose guys like J.R. Brown and uh, Jerry Porter Jr. in the secondary, who were all Big Ten guys. I think this could be a really, really fun year if you're Penn State. Um, that's why I'm excited to see, because if Drew Alar can put it together and they can find a receiver to replace guys like Parker Washington, they can be, I think, a lot of fun. And this could be potentially the year that they get over the hump in the Big Ten East. Yeah, Penn State's 2022 season was was pretty nuts, right? 10-2 regular season. They beat Purdue on the road week one by four. They win their next five games all by double digits. Get blown out in the big house to Michigan, 41-17. Come back and beat Minnesota. Boat race them, pun intended. <laughs> then lose to Ohio State at home. And then after that, they win their last four regular season games. They beat Indiana 45-14, Maryland 30-0, Rutgers 55-10, Michigan State 35-16, and they win the Rose Bowl over a pretty good Utah team. So 11-2 for for James Franklin, another Rose Bowl appearance, a Rose Bowl victory, mm-hmm. and yet you finished third in your in your division. And we, yeah. we talked about it at the end of last season when we were kind of recapping the Big Ten. Like Penn State is in such this weird almost limbo where they're not at the level of Michigan and Ohio state. And listen, it's been a great run for Michigan. It is mm-hmm. two of the most successful years in Michigan in decades, right? Um, you're so far ahead of Michigan state, you know, uh, Indiana, Maryland, like that tier of your division. Um, and you're just like, are we okay? Just doing this. Like, are we okay winning nine games by an average of 25 points and then losing most likely to Michigan and Ohio state and maybe losing like a one we shouldn't um, drew Alar, I think raises their ceiling. Nick Singleton raises like those are studs. Drew Alar, a lot of people really, really liked him in that class of 2022 five-star player, top 40 overall player. Uh, we look at their schedule out of conferences, West Virginia, Delaware, and UMass in uh, the big 10 West. Like you have at Illinois week three, Iowa, Northwestern, and um, um, that's it for their crossover. That's it for okay. Thank you. That's they just they play crossover. all three of them in a row, which is all three of them in a row. You go at Ohio State, and you host uh, you host Michigan. You go at Michigan State. So you're right. Like shapes up, right? Like you don't play Wisconsin. You don't play Nebraska. Like Illinois week three when they have to replace Tommy DeVito. Like Iowa when week four when like the we don't know what points per game they're going to average for, you know, Brian Ferentz's new contract. And they're probably not really going, they're not going to open it up yet. Um, and then, you know, at Northwest, Northwestern's worst team in the league last year. So it, it shapes up. And again, like 
we could be sitting here in December and being like, wow, Penn State went 10 and 2. They went to the Fiesta Bowl and they won the Fiesta Bowl, another 11 win season. But they got drubbed against Michigan. They got drubbed against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do we what do we do here? And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, they may have a better quarterback finally than Ohio State. And I may get to them here next. But like, Michigan looks really, really good with JJ McCarthy coming back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they return uh, outside of a couple people, pretty much the large core of their yeah. playoff team and in Big Ten championship team. So yeah, no, it'll be interesting for sure. And <clears throat> I think you mentioned a precarious spot because this is also probably the last year that they're going to have the Big Ten East. Um, so if you're a Penn State fan, yeah, it might be a little bit of sad relief, but. Looking at this, they haven't beaten Michigan since the 2020 COVID year. They haven't beaten Ohio State since 2016. And do you know the last time they actually beat them in the same regular season? Uh, like 2016? No. Joe Paterno was still the head coach in oh, no. 2000, 2008. Oh, no. So even before divisions, even before leaders and legends. Um, so that will be obviously their, their biggest question mark. But then again, they might only have to, to me, looking at the schedule, if they could get either Michigan, just one of those two, I think uh, you're sitting pretty good um, towards the end of the year. So, yeah, I think they're definitely – for me, they're the most intriguing team in the Big Ten, um, and that's why I picked them as my second pick. What is your what is your next pick, Ryan? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go um, second-year coaches looking to right the ship, and I, mm. I picked Oklahoma with Brent Venables – Florida with Billy Napier and Miami with Mario Cristobal. All three came in with a lot of fanfare, uh, a lot of expectations, and all three pretty much had disastrous year ones. Um, Oklahoma's flew a little under the radar, but still it's really strange to see a 6-6 and Oklahoma team. They got absolutely boat raced in the Red River game against Texas. Really embarrassed in that game. Um, Miami was just dreadful all season. I mean, just, just, just a dreadful program. They have been, it's, it's re, it was really tough last year. They get Tyler Van Dyke back. Um, they recruited at a pretty high level. We know their NIL is, is at a high level. Both of their, um, their, uh, their women's team, I believe made the elite eight, their men's team, uh, made the, final, the final four, four, right? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, and Florida with Florida with Billy Napier, who went six and six. They went two and five to end the season. Lost their last three, including to Vanderbilt. Um, they got they got destroyed by Florida State in their rivalry game. And really, nothing has gone well for Billy Napier in this offseason. Right? You lose Anthony Richardson. They were. I don't know if Graham Mertz was their first choice in the transfer portal for quarterbacks. They kind of settled for him. They lost a couple assistant coaches to the NFL. They finished with a 14th ranked recruiting class, which is not where you paid Billy Napier to be. So I'm interested to see of those three, what happens this year? I mean, Billy Napier, and I fear is, is another bad year away from being fired. I don't think, I think Florida fans really expected a little bit more on the recruiting trail and a little bit more consistency, especially with the offense. I mean, they're talking about picking Anthony Richardson in the top three or top four. And it's like, you watch some of these games, you're like, really? Like <laughs> Florida went six and six with that guy top five, you know, overall quarterback. Um, so yeah. Um, 
I, I'm interested to see in those programs like my, you know, Miami and the, this is the first year of the new ACC where you don't have divisions anymore. So they mm-hmm. can't really rely on winning a down coastal, even though like North Carolina looks really good. Pitt's always really good. So uh, yeah, my, my third pick is just going to be second year coaches who took over big brands that struggled in 2022, which of them can get back on track in 2023. I think it's, I think it's great that you mentioned with Billy Napier and recruiting. The the worst thing that happened to them too this offseason, they're talking about recruiting a lot with Florida. It was just for the wrong reasons with the whole Jalen Rashada thing. Feels like they don't necessarily have all their ducks in a row when it comes to their boosters, which I feel like at some of these big programs, that's like half your job is just making sure that you, the administration, and also the top power brokers all have the same vision and are all aligned in what you want to do. And it just really shined a bad light. I think Florida is kind of in a similar spot where their main rival last year, Florida state was uh, at this point, you know, you had, you know, uh, not a great year though. That was year two for Mike Norvell. They went five and seven had that terrible loss to, to Jacksonville state, but then they lost. They, their biggest off season story was losing out uh, to Travis Hunter. Uh, and losing him to an FCS program. And there was so much heat, but they were at least able to turn it around, had a great season, won 10 games. And some might argue you are the prevented, prohibitive favorite in the ACC coming into the season. But yeah, with Florida, I mean, they fired Dan Mullen. He had just taken them to two straight SEC championship games and then went six and six and was let go. I can't imagine they're going to stick around with with Billy Napier. Maybe he turns Graham Mertz around. I'm all for it. They gave him number 15, which. Yeah. Uh, how about that? So, so they obviously think very, very highly of him. So uh, yeah, I think there, I think with Oklahoma, a lot of last year, you could have, I think they could have easily made the excuse. I mean, that was a rough position. They had a ton of roster turnover after Lincoln Riley left. He took a lot of players with him. They lost a lot of key guys. In that recruiting class, obviously losing Caleb Williams, who ended up winning the Heisman Trophy, was a really big loss. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, Dylan Gabriel can stay healthy for them this year. They had a really, unlike Florida, they recruited their tails off this year. I think they had the number three or four class uh, in the country, uh, including uh, you know Jack Arnold, who was one of the best, you know, another five-star quarterback going to Oklahoma. So I think there's at least positive momentum there. With Flor- with Miami, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if that was just a weird year zero thing, and he was just kind of weeding out. They did have a lot of guys transfer out this year, yep. so maybe it was just kind of weeding out some dudes on the roster, but he still gave up 45 points to freaking Middle Tennessee State, man, uh, and lost that game. So I'm intrigued on that part. Um, and I'm happy you actually said – because my next pick actually kind of flows really, really nicely. Synergy, baby. Uh, but did you have any final thoughts on on this topic? No. Floor is yours. So mine was another second-year head coach at a very big and powerful program. And I'm interested to see – it's Marcus Freeman up at, up at Notre Dame. Last year was really, really up and down. We saw them. They lost to Marshall the beginning yeah. part of the year after playing Ohio State. Very, very tough. We thought maybe they had higher expectations and they lost to a really, really bad Stanford team. Um, but then they kind of turned it on. They only I think they won four of their last five. They won their bowl game. 
against what turned out to be a pretty good South Carolina team. But then the, the offseason stuff just started hitting. They lose two five-star recruits on national site, uh, on national signing day um, in uh, Keelan Keeley. Uh, and then also with, um, who was the other guy from, uh, ended up going to Oklahoma, Peyton Bowden. Yeah, the up, safety, right? Yeah. Yeah, he flipped to, flipped to Oregon. He's and then like the three different day, no one knows where he's going to this day. It's still a mystery. <laughs> it's still a mystery. He just he just asked out of his uh, national letter of intent. Yeah, yeah hey, just he's already in the portal. He's been in the heart of the portal twice. He's got four official visits already next week. Yeah, um, he's going to do the hats the, again on the. He's going to do the hats again on the. He's the crystal ball favorite for all four of them right now. So, um, but they lost both of those two guys. They still had a really good recruiting class, but it would have been an even better one on top of that. And then they get Sam Hartman, which was a huge win, arguably the best transfer quarterback, guy who could probably have gone to the NFL, but maybe a day two or day three pick. They ended up getting him where quarterback was a huge issue for them last year. But then the, the offensive coordinator snap feed. It looks like they're going to get Andy Ludwig, which I, we both thought was going to be a really, really good hire for them. He's at a hockey game with Marcus Freeman, clearly seen there with them buttering it up. And then it comes out, at least allegedly, that Notre Dame did not want to pay his buyout of $2.3 million. Doesn't look great. They end up going to their backup option. They hire from within. Tight ends coach Gerald Parker uh, takes over. He was previously the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. Then they brought in Gino Caduli to handle the quarterbacks. But we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of pressure on Marcus Freeman. I don't think maybe as amplified as it is at other places like A&M or like Florida or Miami this year. But I think he's got to at least produce probably a nine or 10 win season uh, to stay in the good grace, especially with getting a guy like Sam Hartman. Um, you need to have some uh, better explosiveness in the passing game. I know they bring back a couple of wide receivers, but they lose Michael Mayer, who's probably going to be a first round pick this year at tight end was their leading receiver. I believe the last two years. So I know that they've been notoriously good defensively uh, since he's been the coordinator there. So I'm not too worried about that, though. They do have to replace Isaiah Foskey, who was their their sack leader last season. But I think they're a really, really interesting watch. One, what the offense is going to look with uh, with new coordinators and coaches in and with a guy like Sam Hartman. We've seen Sam Hartman in an effective offense. So if he does not look effective, that's not going to look well on the head coach. So I think – that's really, really intriguing for another year two head coach yeah, Marcus Freeman. I'm interested to see Sam Hartman in like the non-Wake Forest offense, mm-hmm. right? Like the non-delayed RPO, delayed handoff. Sam Hartman's also played with some good receivers. I mean, A.T. Perry left early to go to the NFL, Donovan Green. Like they've had some good receivers at Wake in a really good offense the last handful of years. Lucas, you mentioned you may need nine or ten wins. The schedule is absolutely brutal. I mean, here you you play Ohio State September 23rd. You play USC at home on the 14th of October. And then at Clemson, 11-4. I mean, you're talking about one penciled loss in each of those months, right? If we think that Ohio State, um, USC, and and Clemson are going to be as good as we think. Maybe you get one or two of those games. Um, the road games, you go at NC State week three. Uh, they picked up Brennan Armstrong. I'm interested to see what he can do with NC State. They have Navy and Dublin, Ireland. 
uh, week zero. Um, you know, they'll host Wake Forest in the same Hartman revenge game, second to last week <laughs> of the season. Pitt at home. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an intriguing year for Marcus Freeman. I, I think they ended the year on a, on a pretty good note, right? They beat Clemson at home. Nice win there. And, and uh, they, they were just marred by very inconsistent play at quarterback. I mean, Drew mm-hmm. Pine, um, I think at a macro level, like the numbers will look pretty good in terms of his win-loss record as a starter. Obviously, now he's at Arizona State. Um, but a lot of them, like, again, Notre Dame fans are like, yeah, go ahead, man. Uh, you know, don't – like, it's fine. Go ahead and transfer. You know, we're not going to lose any sleep over you. Sam Hartman's a big get. It's a really elite college quarterback. And, I'm, and I, you know, you're right. I'm interested to see him in the offense. I totally forgot about the Andy Ludwig snafu. Yeah. You know, that does not make you look good at all. Um, and we're also in a situation where Notre Dame is a, is a hot commodity for realignment, right? The Big Ten's going to really make a push for them. The ACC is going to make a massive push to try to keep them at the very least locked into their kind of current, you know, scheduling system. So big year for Notre Dame. It's just like, it's hard for me to see them beating two of Ohio State, USC, and, and, and Clemson in addition right. to road games against NC State, Duke, Louisville, and Stanford. Yeah, all of those teams were like eight, nine, like even at Duke, like Duke won. Still have to remember, Duke won nine games last Duke year. Duke won nine games. <laughs> this is not your older brother's Duke. No. Um, and Louisville won eight games and just hired and upgraded that head coach with, with Jeff Brom uh, in that game in Louisville. So, no, yeah, that schedule is brutal. And remember, this is a team that lost to freaking Marshall and Stanford last year at times. So, yeah. Um, no, very, very intriguing team, to say the least. I will say, side note, I'm looking at the – I'm on the ESPN page uh, for Notre Dame, and they're showing the the tickets for the Notre Dame-Navy game. The lowest ticket price right now is $843. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so either there are a lot of Irish fans in their, wow. in their father country, uh, in the motherland, or – there are a lot of uh, a lot of Notre Dame fans making the trip. Probably a mixture of both. But. That is just going to be absolutely rocking. Yeah. All right, um, my next pick here again. It's our spring storylines draft. Uh, first pick for me went to Texas quarterback competition. Lucas then took Texas A and M as a program. I picked Alabama in their place in the SEC West. Lucas picked an upstart Penn State uh, program. I went with second year head coaches. Lucas piggybacked for his third pick and went Marcus Freeman. Um, I was going to take this after the Penn state um, to kind of segue, but I'm interested to see the Ohio state Buckeyes with Ryan day. Um, CJ Stroud is gone. Paris Johnson is gone. Like as usual, they're going to send a lot of players to the NFL. Jackson Smith and Jigma, although he didn't have a, a huge impact in 2022, he's also gone. Um, you bring back Marvin Harrison Jr., who might just be like the best player in the country, like just player in the country. Um, he's awesome. You have a quarterback battle. Ohio State, like Alabama, like Texas, like Georgia, uh, one of these programs with a quarterback battle. Kyle McCord, third year uh, in the program, has played in 12 games, uh, kind of was the backup last year. And you also have Devin Brown, who was a freshman last season and was their third string. So those guys are kind of battling it out in spring right now. I look at Ryan day and it's, it's 21 and three. 
the last two regular seasons. They made the college football playoff last year and, and really gave Georgia an awesome game, like just a really fun semifinal game last year. But two of the three losses have come to Michigan, and you haven't won a Big Ten West in the last two years. Michigan, back you've seen your biggest rival win the conference back-to-back years. Your biggest rival beats you back-to-back years. You have to play at Michigan this year. You have to play at Notre Dame this year. You have to play at Wisconsin this year in like late October when Wisconsin, like you're not getting Wisconsin week three when maybe they're still learning some things here, right? Like you, uh, the, your, your big 10 West draw besides Wisconsin is Purdue and Minnesota. So not terrible. Um, I'm interested, like 21 and three shouldn't put you on the hot seat, but again, it's kind of a macro micro argument, right? Like what if Ryan day loses to Michigan again? What if they have inconsistency at quarterback? I mean, you look at the last two quarterbacks for Ohio State, Justin Fields and TJ Stroud. <laughs> like, that's what, four or five years of excellent quarterback play between those two guys. And we saw, like, a little bit like Clemson, they who had Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, sometimes you don't get the third guy. Like, yeah. so it's really hard to hit on three quarterbacks back to back to back to back, right? Like, you could take a step down, right? Now, you have Travion Henderson coming back. You have a really, I mean, again, the best wide receiver group in the country. Um, but I'm interested to see Ohio State this year. They're clearly a cut above Penn State. They're clearly an elite program in college football. But you lost to your rival two straight years. You haven't won a conference championship since the COVID year in 2020, which only you only played six games. Um, you haven't beat Michigan since – what, 2019? Because didn't they cancel the game in 2020? I, I uh, believe. Yes, it was, uh, yeah, COVID. COVID, They had right. COVID so, issues, yeah, so it didn't get played. So, again, you know, Penn State, we talked about them earlier, could be better this year. you got to go at Penn State. Um, oh, I'm sorry, you get Penn State at home. But, you know, it's it's uh, I think they're in a bit of a precarious position, even though, again, Ryan Day's gone 21-3 and the last two regular seasons. Yeah, no, it's... For me, it's hard because I look back even even further with Ryan Day. So Ryan Day has been in Ohio State, I think, since 2017, 2018. He came on as like quarterback coach, co-OC. And I believe his quarterbacks were, were JT Barrett. He was a really good college quarterback, never really yep. did much in the NFL. But you look at, after that, they had Dwayne Haskins, who was really, really good. His one year as a starter there and then was a first-round pick. And then you mentioned Justin Fields and – uh, and then obviously C.J. Stroud these last two years. And I remember when 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 Justin Fields left, we were wondering, okay, is C.J. Stroud going to be it? And I remember those first three, four weeks, you know, they lose to Oregon early in 2021. People are like, you know, they got, they got, I think they still had like Tate Martell back then and like a few other guys. And it was just like, do they, do they want to play, you know, these guys ahead of him? And then obviously this, yeah, the story writes itself. C.J. Stroud ends up having a fantastic college career. Yep. And I just – I don't have any reason to doubt that either Devin Brown or Kyle McCord are going to be that guy. Both were obviously extremely highly rated coming into the program. And, look, they're going to have help. You mentioned Javion Henderson is back. Marvin Harrison Jr. is back. Even, I believe, Emeka Ibuka, who was yep. another 1,000-yard receiver, was back. Um, I was listening to a podcast – a recruiting podcast this week, and they said for their pro day, because both Marvin Harrison 
Ibuka tr- did did drills. Yeah, with CJ Stroud. At the pro- yeah, with CJ Stroud. And one scout had said it was basically like window shopping for Lamborghinis uh, before they before the new model comes out. Yeah. Um, like both these guys are probably guaranteed going to be first round draft picks again. To me, it's just hard to fathom. They do still need to make some growth on the defensive side of the ball. But I agree with you, though. We already talked about Penn State. I think they can make a jump this year. In Michigan, they don't really have these question marks. They're bringing back a good core from that team last year, including J.J. McCarthy, who if he takes another step forward, that offense can go also to another level. So I I trust that Ryan Day is going to be able to do something. But, yeah, I think just because – I think the competition around them has gotten so much stronger in those two teams over the last couple of years that they could still be pretty dang good. Like you mentioned, like 10 and two, I I don't think that would get him fired, but I think it definitely puts him on the hot seat and people would question it. Maybe he then decides to jump to the NFL and maybe it opens up that way where he's kind of slowly pushing. I don't know. Or, or he pulls like a, you know, leave before your seat gets too hot. And, and maybe it's, you know, Florida or maybe it's somewhere else, like a big SEC job comes open, right? Brian Kelly to LSU, Lincoln Riley to USC. Now, you're going to find literally like there's three or four jobs that are, quote, better than Ohio State. Ohio State, yes. It's not quite the same, right? Like Lincoln Riley going from Norman, Oklahoma to Southern California. But, like, you get my point. Like, maybe Texas opens. And Ryan Day's like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'll go coach Texas. Like, I'll go coach Arch Manning. And, and and reset my clock and not get fired. Oh man, so. you uh, you just put that in my head. I'm not leaving that all year. Yeah, that, that thought of uh, Ryan, Ryan Day, to Day going to Texas to coach Arch Manning. Oh my god, uh, that yeah. Can you that imagine just like real quick before we get to your next pick, like if the Texas job comes open. Granted, like Arch probably enters a transfer portal. Yeah, but like the madness for that job, like Texas, you better find someone damn good at the time <laughs> if, if you can keep Arch Manning there. Oh, what if it's – I'm already thinking about this. What if Arch Manning stays? They hire – Lane Kiffin has another good year at Ole Miss. Oh, baby. He goes oh, to Texas the year they enter the SEC. And, uh, okay, uh, that we got to leave those. That's that's uh, Those are bold yeah. predictions uh, later yep. on. But that's yep. – oh, we're in midseason form already. It's, we really uh, are. The bold predictions are already cooking. My goodness. <laughs> All right, let's do uh, let's do your next pick. Maybe we'll each do one more or something. All right, so mine, this is slightly vague, but we can just touch on it. Mine was just going over. We talked about kind of second-year coaches at big-time programs. I'm looking at some of the first-year head coaches for this year. Um, four in particular, or five really in particular. Uh, the first one, we'll go through this one quick, Ryan, because we cringe every time we talk about it on the podcast, but Deion Sanders at Colorado. Yeah. Just the hype there. I didn't realize this. Colorado is the only spring game that ESPN is actually televising. This How year. about this? It's not only that. Alabama's spring game is on the same time, the same day on the same time, and they put that on SEC Network yeah. over Colorado's. <laughs> God <laughs> knows what the Colorado spring game is going to be. You'll probably have like Snoop Dogg coaching against like Kendrick Lamar and like. Dion's going to parachute in from like a 15,000. Like it's going to be nuts. I mean, it's going to be a spectacle. But He's hey, gonna have the, all about the kids. They're going to have like a chariot. Like the players are going to be carrying him on the thing. And he's oh, going to yeah. be there yeah. smoking a cigar. Yeah, a big chain. Two big old buffaloes pulling it. <laughs> yeah. 
Ugh. Hey, but that's what you sign up for. But then, but an opponent they're playing this year, obviously Matt Rule at Nebraska. They kind of have a nice quarterback competition going on there with Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson. I have no idea what the hell the expectations are for Nebraska this year. Like, are they are fans there just wanting them to get back to a bowl game? Are they wanting to compete in the Big Ten West? I have no idea. Um, Jeff Brom at Louisville, I think, was maybe one of the more underrated ones. I think. Like Louisville, the cover was is not bare there. They won eight games last year. Jeff Brom is just – I just think he's a phenomenal head coach. I've talked at nauseum how great of a job I thought he did at Purdue. That program was a complete dumpster fire, and then he had them playing in the Big Ten championship game this year. He's got some pieces there with Jack Plummer um, and also uh, Jawar Brown, their leading running back, is coming back. But then also, obviously – um, two other ones that are very dear into our heart. Obviously, Kenny Dillingham starting at ASU. Um, I think the the only reason, uh, the main reason I find that intriguing, one is because it's a big program in the Pac-12, but just the roster turnover at that school. He inherited a complete mess left behind him by Herm Edwards. They brought in, what, 30-plus transfers this year, another 10 to 15 in the recruiting class, including Jalen Rashada. Um, they were able to nab him after that fiasco at Florida. I'm really just intrigued to see how that whole team settles. And then obviously um, at Wisconsin, Luke Fickle, obviously a lot of buzz with him leaving Cincinnati for that job. Can he elevate that program? Hoping he does. But also wanting to see what their offense is going to look like under Phil Longo. Um, they're going to run a spread air raid. Very different than what, obviously, Wisconsin fans and a lot of Big Ten fans are accustomed to seeing. And obviously bringing in Tanner Mordecai to help lead that role. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for all five of those, really, to kind of see how they turn out here in the yeah. spring and see what expectations it leads to here in the fall. I cannot emphasize how weird it is going to be to see Wisconsin week one probably playing like Eastern Illinois or something. Buffalo, right. playing Buffalo. Playing, playing Buffalo, the, Buffalo, the fighting bulls. They come out. It's probably noon Eastern. It's like 11 a.m. in Camp Randall. First half of the game is five wide. And and every Wisconsin fan's like, wait, what? 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 You know, it's like eight. It's like no huddle, eight passes, first drive, touchdown. And everyone, yeah. every Wisconsin fan's like, wait, you can do that? That's legal in college football? <laughs> um, it's going to be so interesting. Yeah, no, first-year coaches for sure, right? Um. Bruce Feldman has a really, really good article on The Athletic about the trials and tribulations and just how difficult year one is for coaches. He interviewed like Sonny Dykes, interviewed like a lot of former coaches. Like you are resetting the culture and a lot of Mm -hmm. your success is almost based off of what was the culture like last year? How much work do you have to put in? Like are you having to reteach guys how to practice, how to be on time, how to do the right things, like the little things? And that's what Kenny Dillingham is having to do at ASU. Like they have most of the rosters brand new. They brought in two compet two transfer quarterbacks plus Jaden Rashada. Um, a lot of transfers, a lot of transfers with Arizona ties. the re- The results have been the reviews so far have been really good. Like the the practice, I think ASU's had five or six spring practices, and and the energy and the attention to detail. People have been reading the reports and. Um, it's been pretty good so far, but again, like, you know, we'll see it's six practices. Um, the Dion at, at Colorado, again, um, brutal start for Dion. Um, I don't, you know, haven't been following much of, of Colorado. Uh, Dion just like, 
once a week, Dion just says things, and you're just like, oh, all right, there it is. He, wait, he, he wants his quarterback. He wants his quarterback to come from a two-family home, but he's not married himself. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his son will be the starting probably. I know, right? Quarterback. It's funny. I saw a video on TikTok, Lucas, and it was it was Dion Sanders. <laughs> Deion Sanders did the thing where like he didn't give the players numbers in spring ball because he wanted them to earn everything. He's like, you're gonna oh, earn geez. everything. We're gonna earn stuff in this program. And it's like, Dion, you can't do that and then also name your son the starting quarterback in your introductory press conference. I f- can't do it, Lucas. Can't do it. You're gonna fire the, it. That's that's it. I can't. I just the hypocrisy with like if Dion, if other coaches like like imagine if Luke Fickle went on a Wisconsin radio station and was like, yeah, I need my quarterback from two family homes and I want my defensive lineman from single family homes. It's like, wait, what? What are we talking about, man? You can say that? Come on. Ugh. Um, well, and it's yeah, funny. Go ahead. I was going to say with, like with Matt Rule at Nebraska, like we were in a group chat that we're in. We, I think it was our buddy. It was either you or Blaine had Blaine. shared from, from Matt Rule how he's like, we're not, you know, when we have cameras here, we're just working out, man. Like we're not, we're not trying to be flashy. We're not all this about hype. And I have to feel that was somewhat. Uh, yes. I mean, they're they're main rivals, and they are playing this year, which is fantastic. Um, but that had to have been a little bit of a shot thrown at. Uh, Matt Rule is is kind of funny because he is saying all the right things that every like old Nebraska fan wants to hear. He's mm-hmm. like, "We're going to be physical. We're going to run the football. You have to win the line of scrimmage." Like, all this kind of old-school 1980s Tom Osborne, like, Nebraska stuff he's trying to bring back. Um, it's interesting. You talked about the expectations for Nebraska. I, I just think bowl game year one is, like, get to a bowl game. Like, yeah. Scott Frost didn't get you to a bowl game. It's – it's now, again, the Big Ten, like, it's you play three conference games, not four. Nebraska has to play Colorado. Like, that might be a tough game week two. But, like, it, you're in the Big Ten West. Like, get to a bowl game. Purdue has a new coach. Wisconsin has a new coach. Illinois has a new quarterback. Iowa is still trying to score against, you know, their their the game they played last November. Like they're still trying to get in the end zone to, to this day. Um, like you, you, the goal should be get to a bowl game, right? Um, I'm also interested. Scott Satterfield, Cincinnati. Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Um, what a perfect marriage! Like that seemingly should be. Like Auburn is so chaotic. So up and down. Auburn will win 11 games one year. They'll win six games the next year and fire their coach and pay him $45 million. Like, it's just I, – I almost cannot wait to – like, I, I wasn't super huge on the hire, but I, I just can't wait to see it because it's like – it's yeah. just a match made in heaven. Yeah, because like you mentioned, it it could be extremely good, and he replicates kind of what he does at Ole Miss, and he's able to beat Saban. And kind of be yeah become a nuisance to him, which I think Auburn fans obviously want to get back to being. But yeah, otherwise, or it could be just don't. We know the guy can coach football. It's just can he keep his mind focused on the field? He showed that at least at Liberty, um, who you know stands for excellence and great character. Liberty always does. Um, but you know, yeah, it it's interesting there. I think. Um, the other one, Scott Satterfield, you mentioned wasn't super hot. Like, I think Scott Satterfield's a decent head coach. I don't think yeah. he did a great job at Louisville, but he wasn't awful there. I just thought Cincinnati could have coming off of where they were 
which was arguably the best group of five program heading into the Big 12, I think they could have maybe gotten a better candidate and said, you got a guy who was looking for a way out of his current situation. I don't think that's always great. The last time they did something similar to that was Tommy Tupperville. And that did not work out at all when he jumped from Texas Tech uh, to Cincinnati. So and I'm intrigued what their expectations are in year one. They had a little, a decent amount of attrition on their roster as well. They lost a handful of guys out of that recruiting class. I know they brought in, you know, Emory Jones, who transferred, you know, in from ASU to compete for the starting quarterback role there. Um, and also just those, just those teams in general that are trying to transition from going from a group of five league to playing a full power five schedule. Yep. Always, I feel like there's a two to three year transition period where they just need to build up their roster, get depth before you start seeing to do Excel. So I'm interested to see how much Cincinnati fans coming off the high they had with Luke Fickle, if they're, if they're willing to be patient with a guy like Satterfield, these first few years when he builds up that roster. Um, all right. My last pick, um, I'm going to just go just because we really haven't touched on this league. I'm going to go pack 12 conference quarterbacks. Um, if you look at the Pac-12 heading into 2023, so it's the last year of the Pac-12, USC, UCLA uh, will lead to the Big Ten. So LA, officially Big Ten country, July of 2024. We're all excited. Uh, USC won the league uh, or won the regular season last year, 8-1. and one. They bring back Caleb Williams. He won the Heisman. Michael Penix, Washington won 11 games last year, beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl. They bring back Michael Penix. Oregon won 10 games. They bring back Bo Nix. Utah won 10 games, went to the Rose Bowl, won the conference uh, championship game. They bring back Cam Rising. Oregon State won 10 games. They brought in DJ Ungalale from Clemson. And UCLA signed one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Dane Moore. Uh, took him from Oregon. Really could have gone anywhere he wanted out of Detroit, Michigan. The conference of quarterbacks, we talked about this last year with the ACC a little bit with guys like Devin Leary, Brennan Armstrong, Sam Hartman, Jordan Travis, DJU. The Pac-12 has the best, I mean, I, unless I'm really drawing a blank, like the best collection of quarterbacks of any team in the country, of any conference in the country. Uh, the Pac-12 had checks notes, five teams win at least 10 games. They had six teams win at least nine games. They had seven teams go to bowl games. Now you also had Colorado one and eleven, Stanford three and nine, ASU three and nine, California eight. So definitely like a have and have not in the conference. <laughs> Interested to see if if that evens out a little bit. But you know USC, this really could be the year for them to make the playoff. Caleb Williams gone after this year. Lincoln Riley year two in in, in LA. You know UCLA had a really nice year in twenty twenty two. Washington getting some preseason Pac-12 championship, like college football playoff, dark horse love. Utah is just like always rock steady, nine, ten wins. Um, So, yeah, conference of champions, Pac-12, conference quarterbacks, interested. Um, Not really like a spring storyline, but just wanted to kind of throw them in there uh, before we wrap up. It's also so Pac-12 that their best two like competitive years – are going to happen like in their last two years of yes the conference as itself. It would be absolutely hilarious if like USC wins the national championship this year. <laughs> like just <laughs> absolutely awesome if USC like gets the Pac-12 their first ever national championship in the CFP era and then just bolts for the Big Ten. <laughs> oh man, it's like 
uh, I don't know if this is appropriate, but it'd be like breakup sex. It'd be like, hey, we're ending it on a high note. We got uh, you your, we got you what you guys always wanted, but we're done. We're done. Uh, now we're gonna, we're moving on to bigger and better things. But no, I completely agree. And even look, you mentioned some of them, but you even still had Cam Rising at Utah, Jaden Delora, still at at the University of Arizona. So, yeah. um, no, it's it's deep. Hopefully, it fares better than the ACC last year. We hyped up that a lot, yeah, and it didn't really come to fruition. Devin Leary got yeah. hurt. Tyler Van Dyke was in and out of the starting line. Brennan Armstrong Armstrong was terrible last year. So DJU ends up getting benched towards the end of the year. Um, And Sam Hartman was hurt for a portion of of Wake Forest's season. So, yeah, I'm hoping it does better than that. Um, I also think the teams collectively are just much better than what they had in the ACC last year. Um, So, no, I think it's going to be another fun, fun year for the Pac-12. And – who knows? Maybe they keep it going. They bring in SMU and San Diego State. Maybe they have killer quarterbacks in 2024, and uh, we keep it going. But going to be a fun, fun last year of what is now the, the Pac-12. Um, yep. Okay. Uh, anything you want to touch on? You want to go one more? Anything else you want to touch on before we uh, we wrap up here? I don't think so. I hit up all the ones on my list. So okay. I, I got my draft board. I got all the as as every GM says at the end of every draft. Hey, we got all the players we wanted. Yep, got everyone. Got all of them. Got everyone we wanted. So uh, no, I, I cover. I think I covered everything that I wanted to go over. I think this. I mean, I say this every year. This could be a really exciting twenty twenty three season. Like. I, I I just think it's it's a little bit more wide open with Georgia replacing Stetson, with Georgia replacing Todd Munkin, Alabama two new OC like two new coordinators, new quarterback, Ohio State new quarterback. Like I just I think it's really wide open for a team. Maybe Michigan wins the championship. Maybe USC wins a national championship. Maybe Washington or or Penn State breakthrough or something. I, I think it's shaping up to like now that I'm starting to do my 2023 prep and like dive into next year. Could be a fun twenty twenty three college football season. I almost wish that the twelve team playoffs started this year, Ugh, because yeah. I think it would have made for uh, a crazy amount of time. Because we could have a lot of really good, you know, two loss teams, maybe some one loss teams that are on the outside looking in, or maybe they lose a game by three or four points. Like Alabama last year, like we're saying this down here, there are two games last year they lost by what a combined four points. They lost by one to LSU and three to Tennessee. Yep. So um, luckily we're getting it in 2024, but I agree. I think it could be kind of a crazy, you know, and then I think some programs could be on the rebound. Do we see one of those three programs you mentioned, like Oklahoma, Florida, Miami, do one of them take a leap this year? Does Florida state continue in the right direction? Does Clemson rebound with, uh, with Garrett Riley now running the offense and Cape Kovlik now, the going to going into the season as the guy, I think just a ton of plethora of storylines. We probably could, uh, given us time, I think we probably could have made like two or three other, <laughs> other episodes going through. I, know, all this. Right. So I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, it's fun stuff. Lucas and I'll be back, uh, for two shows in April. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at running for roses. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Baffle. Lucas, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lucas underscore Rody 58 and that's R-O-H-D-E. I know there's some confusion. A lot of people spell my last name with the, with the H and the O flip, but it's R-O-H-D-E. What's that? 
Including me sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Including me a couple times. Hey, it happens. I'm. It's happened since I since I was born. But uh, yeah, please follow. Uh, please feel to follow us, interact with us, and also make sure uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Feel yep. free to subscribe, uh, hit a rating, and, and even if we even if you think we suck, we, we're always open for feedback. So we appreciate all the listens. As Ryan mentioned, our Big Ten pod that we did a few weeks ago our number one rated episode, um, yeah. which is awesome to have that um, in the off season. So yep. thank you to everyone who has been listening, who has been listening. Yep. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. All right. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baff. Lucas, thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of Running for the Roses. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great night. Stay frosty. Yeah.